The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, to state the obvious, it's Easter Sunday. And if anything might take the stage on Easter Sunday, it would probably be the story, right? I mean, now if you're under the age of eight, we've somehow convinced you that it's candy. But otherwise, it's this story that we have. Easter is about this story, this story of of hope, this story of life conquering death, this story that gives us a reason to have faith, this story with one main character, Jesus Christ. Now maybe here today you'd call yourself a Christian, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've probably heard at least pieces of this story of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard how God saw a world in desperate need and how he gave his only son to us. Born of a virgin, angels announced his birth and celebrated and worshiped over it. Wise men came and gave him gifts. And yet God's son grew up here in a poor family, living a normal human life, learning the trade as a carpenter. And at age 30, he set down those carpenter tools and began a ministry, teaching about the kingdom of God, gathering disciples who would follow him around and listen to his teaching. Now, his teachings were revolutionary. He talked about things nobody else talked about. He talked about getting right in your heart, not just right in your actions, that both were important. He talked about a personal relationship that you could have with the creator of the universe. And he taught personally and lived personally the things he taught. You could have a personal relationship with God himself, but Perhaps more revolutionary than that idea was the idea that Jesus himself claimed to be one with God. He described himself with many titles that could only rightly belong to God himself. And the religious leaders of his day wouldn't have it. They saw him as a blasphemer. They saw him as a heretic. They saw him as a threat. So they convinced the Roman governments to execute him by crucifixion, which is a painful, torturous death on a cross. Now, out of all the human beings who ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus was the only one who has lived without sin. He never once walked away from what God asked of his life. And so out of all the human beings who ever walked the face of the earth, he's the only one who never deserved to die. But he chose instead to lay his life down. He voluntarily laid his life down for you and for me. Because God said, since you have not sinned, I will allow you to carry the sins of others. I will allow you to pay the price for others, to be judged on their behalf, so that you and me, so that we might have a hope and a future with God. Well, what does that mean for Jesus? Well, just as he promised, Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave on the third day and is still alive today, calling you and me into relationship with him. Now, 
We could close in prayer right there. And some of you would go, that was the best Easter sermon I have ever heard. Maybe it could have been a little shorter. And some of us would feel like, you know, we did it, right? We did it. We observed Easter. We did it the right way, too. We didn't just ignore Easter this year. No, this year, we didn't, we, we didn't just, you know, eat a box of peeps and call it good. We, we went to church. We sang some songs. We heard the story. That was a legitimate Easter. But let me at least pose one question before everyone rushes out of here and we start another egg hunt. You see, Easter focuses in on just one part of the story, the resurrection. Focuses not today on the virgin birth or on Jesus' incredible teaching ministry and all the wonderful things he taught. It's not even a focus today on his death on the cross. Though all of those things are certainly connected, on Easter we zoom into this last chapter in Jesus' time walking the earth and we owe it to ourselves to ask this question. The resurrection, do you get it? I mean, not just have you heard about it, but do you get it? See, so many of us have heard the story. We have heard the story, but we have missed the point. I mean, this story claims that we are living in the world of the resurrected Jesus. This story claims that the most important thing that could ever happen to your life has already happened. This story claims that hope, real hope, is a present reality for those who will receive it. And yet, many of us have heard the story or we've been around the story, or we know there is a story somewhere out there about this, and somehow we have missed out on encountering the resurrection. We've got some small inkling of understanding that this impossible miracle could change everything, but not for us. We must have missed it. I mean, today, as we look at the story, I also want you to hear from some of the stories of people right now and right here, people in this church, some stories that God's writing in their lives as well. So we asked a couple, a couple couples, we asked two couples, Roy and Allison, Robert and Michaela, to share with you a little bit about their faith journey. And in this first video that we're gonna watch, I, wanna see, I want you to see where they were just only a few years ago. Go ahead. I was brought up in a, in a Christian family. My dad was Presbyterian, my mom was Catholic. I had like a, a decent childhood. I mean, yeah, my parents were divorced. Yeah, it sucked, but I was able to still see both of them. I had grown up always a believer, um, but never a real relationship. I went through battles of my own, which were depression. We went to church casually as, uh, as I was growing up. We would attend on, you know, Easter, the, the Christmas masses. My mom kind of tried to get me to go to church with her, and I just always said no. I never wanted to. My family went through a really hard time. My mom ended up having an affair with a pastor, um, so it completely turned me off from church. In 2008, um, I had lost my mom to uh, drug addiction. I didn't think I was... 
I should have been there because I, what was the point? I struggled with that quite a bit. Uh, I had uh, a lot of um, questions and, and anger. My thoughts towards God were more of uh, not good. It completely turned me off from having a relationship with God um, because I ultimately blamed him and I didn't understand and I was so angry about how this could happen. You know, I, I had a lot of questions of, of who God was, even if he really existed at times. I was incredibly depressed. I felt very unworthy. Um, I felt very unloved. I didn't recognize a God that cared about me and wanted a relationship with me. It was very much a one-way relationship. I just never wanted to form a relationship with God, especially with the situation I was in. I had so many doubts. How could somebody else love me if my own mom didn't love me? I struggled in my faith quite a bit. I didn't want to be around people. I did not trust people. I just always kind of wondered there had to be more in life. I think that the meaning of life for me was really focused on finding my happiness through my success. I didn't have a good view on life because of my experience with depression. I, I always felt there was something missing, but I never really clicked to me with what that was. If I didn't view myself as being successful, that to me would be not a successful life. Life just seemed to always have its hiccups and I, I, I wouldn't understand why, like there was something missing. There was uh, this hole that uh, I, I didn't know that needed to be filling, but yet I was filling it with all sorts of different things. What's the point? I mean, all I'm doing here is living. I gotta work to make money. What else is there? I'm grateful these couples agreed to share their stories with us because we've all been there. I mean, we have all lived in a world where the resurrection has occurred and we've missed it. We've all had the chance to connect with this miracle that can change lives, that can give us hope, but we didn't change and we didn't find hope. We have all lived at least some of our lives as if the resurrection never happened, as if it isn't even real. And some of us still are there. But we've heard the story. We have heard the story, but we've missed the point. So that's why I want us to ask this question today about the resurrection. Do we get it? Do we understand how the resurrection that occurred some 2,000 years ago is perhaps the most important thing that could happen to our lives today? Because the story is dead without it. Because Jesus is still dead without it. Because we are still dead in our sins without it. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 19 says. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. 
But he did not raise them if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Or if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I love how honest the Bible is right here. I mean, this is bold. This is, this is crazy bold stuff. This is the Bible saying, hey, everyone, I just want to let you know, it all hangs on one thing. It's got to be true. Everything we believe in, everything that gives purpose to our lives, every commandment written in the entire Bible, it all really rests on this one thing. Okay, fine, what's that? It's the resurrection. Something impossible. Something never done before or never done since, not like Jesus did it. I know you can think about, well, there's some other stories in the Bible about how God brought people back from the dead, but, but this is different. See, God did bring some people back from the dead, but every one of them still lived the rest of their life out and died. But the resurrection teaches us the entire Christian faith rests on one giant impossible thing, that Jesus rose from the grave after being crucified and is still alive to this day. Everything hangs on that. Why? Why is the resurrection so extremely important? Can't we just take all the other great things about Jesus, his teachings, his selfless example, his, his life of love and generosity, his other miracles, his selfless, sacrificial death, can't we take all of those things and call them enough? I mean, even without a resurrection, Jesus is still the most amazing man that ever walked the face of this earth. Isn't the resurrection just kind of a bonus? Well, as we've just read, no. It is absolutely essential. And I'll give you three quick reasons why, and we'll zoom through them because I really want to zoom in and focus on the last one. Why is the resurrection so extremely important? One, because the resurrection proves that everything Jesus taught was and is trustworthy. He claimed he was God. He claimed he would die for us and that he would be raised for us. He claimed that he could give us new life starting here and now. If all that's true, that's great. And it all is true if the resurrection's true. Otherwise, it's not. Why is the resurrection so extremely important? Number two, because if Jesus was raised, it means those who live for Jesus will be raised. In John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. See, the Bible teaches us Jesus was not the only one to be resurrected. He is the first one to be resurrected, and that those who believe in him will follow. They will be raised just like he was to live with him forever. That is great news if the resurrection really occurred. Why is the resurrection so extremely important? Three, because the resurrection makes it possible for us to have an encounter with the risen Jesus. Because of the resurrection, 
we can have an encounter with the risen Jesus. It means Jesus is alive. It means he is active. It means he is calling you and me into a relationship with him. He is bringing our prayers to the throne of God himself. He is advocating to God for you and I. He will speak to us. He will minister to us. He will be present in us through his Holy Spirit. He will strengthen us when we are weak. He is intimately present with us now, and he is constructing a future for us in eternity at this moment. The resurrection means that Jesus is not just someone to remember. He is someone to encounter. He's not just someone to remember. He is someone to encounter. Well, great. Sign me up. As a matter of fact, give me two encounters with Jesus. Give me two encounters with the resurrected Lord because I'm just feeling a little bit motivated today. Isn't that kind of the response you'd expect out of that? Jesus is alive. He is raised from the grave and we can encounter him today. Wouldn't everybody be lining up at the door to say, let me encounter him? But they don't. But we don't. And we live in this paragraph, par paradox where on the one hand, the impossible has occurred. Christ is risen. That changes everything. But on our own, the starting point for every single one of us is that we miss the resurrection. Christ is risen, but on our own, every one of us misses it. We miss the resurrection. That's a sad thought. But let me cheer you up a little bit with this. At least we're in good company. <laughs> Even Jesus' closest followers, his closest friends, missed it. When the day of the resurrection came, they all did. And really, not only did they miss it, they didn't, you know, just accidentally show up, oh, it already happened. <laughs> they didn't just miss it, none of them expected it to happen at all. The Bible lays it out for us. Jesus had predicted this. He had told people about this. He said, the most incredible thing in the universe is going to happen. He was going to be killed, and three days later, God was going to raise him from the dead. He even gave him a timeline. How often do you get a timeline from God? I'll tell you, not very often. We'd love more. We'd ask him for more. God doesn't do timelines very often for us. But he even told them, on the third day, I will be raised from the grave. The Bible tells us he taught it on multiple occasions. He taught it in public and in private. It wasn't just this, you know, inner circle of people that might have been in on the secret. No, people knew about it. In fact, the book of Matthew tells us that even Jesus' opponents knew about this. So they bought themselves a little resurrection fraud insurance. You know, they crucified Jesus and they're like, well, we want to make sure there's no resurrection fraud. By the way, if you ever call your insurance company and ask for that, they will give you some really weird answers. We don't offer that kind of coverage and we think you're strange. But the opponents of Jesus said, we need some insurance. And so Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66, shows that they knew this was going to happen, or they knew that he had predicted this, and it shows what they did. They went to the governor. The next day, one, the, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while, this, while he was still alive, this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. 
So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. It wasn't a secret. Jesus had plans on day three. And when that moment came, when the most significant thing that has ever happened on this earth happened, the Bible says God caused a violent earthquake. And I love that. It wasn't just a little earthquake like, ooh, there's a little rumbling going on. This was a violent earthquake. The earth shook. And God sent down angels, angels who it said were clothed like lightning to roll the stone away. The people that were there, the two soldiers or however many guard soldiers there were, fell like dead men at the sight and at the happening of what was going on. And when the king of glory was about to rise out of the grave and take his steps out as the conqueror of sin, of death, named as king of kings and lord of lords, it's been proven, he steps out of the tomb. And you know how many people were there? Zero. You know how many disciples were there ready for what he had just accomplished to celebrate that with him? None. Well, didn't Jesus tell them this was going to happen? Yes. Well, didn't they say they believed him? They told him they believed he was the son of God. Well, didn't they know that he could do miracles? They had seen him do thousands of miracles, including raising the dead, by the way. So what happened? <laughs> when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series last year, five million people showed up to celebrate their victory. This is baseball, people. And not baseball for all time. They won last year. They're not going to win again this year. But yet, when the Lord of all creation stepped out in victory, having conquered sin and death, zero people showed. Zero even thought it would happen. See, everyone missed the resurrection. Everyone came late. Every one of Jesus' followers started the greatest day in the history of the world in disappointment. They started in disappointment. They started in fear, in doubt, in disbelief. The disciples were told, the, the 11 remaining disciples after Judas had left them, they were holed up in a locked room. They were afraid the Jewish leaders were coming after them next. Oh, but the, hey, there were some women that went out looking for Jesus at the tomb, right? They did it on an accident. <laughs> they were not performing a resurrection check. The Bible says they took spices with them to anoint his dead body. As a matter of fact, the angels confronted them and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They were looking for someone dead. That's like bringing a sympathy card to a birthday party. <laughs> Hey, we're here to celebrate. Oh, sorry for your loss, but I'm still alive. I'm, I'm actually got a year older. 
I mean, that's not only not appropriate, it could be really awkward if you encountered that person with that kind of gift. The book of Luke tells us that two other disciples were walking away from Jerusalem, traveling to a town called Emmaus, seven miles away. And then you think, well, so what? They're on the road traveling. But the thing is that Jesus had gathered his disciples together before his crucifixion. And he said, listen, guys, this isn't the end of the story. Stay here. Stay here in Jerusalem. Wait. Don't leave until you have been clothed with power from on high. And yet you got two of them on Resurrection Sunday going, I guess that's not going to happen. Walking seven miles away. And to make it worse, the Bible tells us they heard rumors. We heard rumors. Somebody was saying something about a tomb empty, Jesus is raised from the dead. Yeah, probably not. And then you've heard of Thomas. Thomas, right? The disciple. What do you know about Thomas? Nothing other than the fact that other disciples had this great encounter with Jesus and he missed it. And he came to him late and they said, Jesus is alive. You've got to see this. You've got to know this. Trust us. And he said, there's no way I'm believing you guys. There's no way I'm believing. I won't believe unless I see him myself. And not only that, I got to put my finger in his hands and the holes in his hands. Well, he got a nickname from that. Doubting Thomas, right? That may have been the only time he doubted in his entire life. But boy, he picked the wrong one. And now that's how he's known throughout the rest of history. His name is Doubting Thomas. What's my point? There's a parallel here, right? This isn't just their story. This is, this is what we go through. We have access. We have the resurrection story readily available to us. We can read it any day. You can come to church on Easter and hear about it. We have it readily available to us. Well, they had it readily available to them too. Jesus didn't make it a secret. He told them about it. His opponents knew about it. Public, private, it was gonna happen. He gave them instructions. They didn't follow him. Jesus really tried with them. He prepared them as best as he could, but check my facts on this one. I read every resurrection story in the Bible, and no one follower of Jesus got it right on their own. Nobody did. They all knew about it. They all missed it. They all started in a hopeless place. And that encourages me. <laughs> I am encouraged by their complete hopelessness and failure on Resurrection Sunday. And I hope that doesn't sound too cruel because I don't mean it to be. I'll tell you why. See, these guys, these ladies, they all blew it, right? Way to miss the biggest, most important thing that'll ever matter. Good job. But these were the very same people who would become pillars of faith in the early church. These disciples who failed to believe, failed to obey, failed to be consistent, failed to trust, failed to be patient, failed to understand, well, they look a lot like I can look in my weaker moments. And if God can make something out of them, if God would intentionally choose to do something in them, it gives me great hope. It gives me great hope that God can use someone as weak and as imperfect as I am. See, they all started in a hopeless place, but they didn't end there. Amen. Don't you want to know how? What's the difference? How did a bunch of hopeless people 
do a complete 180 by the end of the day? How did people who scattered in fear on Good Friday turn into bold, fearless leaders who shared their faith with thousands of people openly and unashamedly only days later after they were hiding in the city of Jerusalem? They shared to thousands. How did that happen? How is it possible that those who were depressed over the failure of their Savior How did they become people who were willing to face torture and even death for their claims that Jesus didn't fail? He was alive. He was living in them through through his Holy Spirit. And the scriptures tell us how. The clear, unqualified answer, how did that happen? They had encounters with the risen Jesus. And that changed everything. Because of the resurrection, we can have an encounter with the risen Jesus. Now, it's interesting, too. The Bible tells us uh, in every resurrection story, we can see that, that God gave people a chance to get it right. He gave them a chance to understand, to get it, to change on their own. This wasn't a rigged game. You know, oh, it's never going to happen, guys. He gave them everything they needed. But still, that's never how it happens. I encourage you, pick up a Bible, load up a Bible app and read these stories. Read the end of the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and you'll see in each and every story the disciples are clueless, they're hopeless, they have given up and then Jesus appears and he reveals himself to them and he helps them to understand God's plan that has already been written down in the scriptures for hundreds of years. It's already been there but he helps them understand it. And in encounter after encounter, he changes people's lives forever. If you ever want proof that the resurrection is not just a fairy tale, not just something we made up, look at the lives it changed. Made up stories, religious conspiracies, those can't do what the resurrected Jesus did and is still doing. See, that's the thing. Jesus is still alive. Jesus is active and is bringing new life to people just like you and me. The Bible gives us some of the amazing true stories that Jesus has written, but he's still writing. He's writing more and more every day. See, now I get to show you the good video. You heard where Roy and Allison and Robert and Michaela had been. Watch and listen to see where they are today. I came into a relationship with Christ in sort of a vague way. There is not a moment in my life that I can point to that was that defining moment and that moment that everything changed and I chose God, but it was more of a progression and a transition. One lady had asked me, you know, do you know if you're going to heaven or not? And I didn't really have a good answer for that. And yeah, this is something I'm missing. You know, I I started attending Mercy Hill Church. I met Allison. Um, Her and I have have grown together in faith. I was attending a really great church that, for the first time in my life, encouraged me to develop in my prayer life and encouraged me to read my Bible. Before that, I had never had anybody tell me that I'm actually supposed to read my Bible, which is crazy. But 
through that experience of reading my Bible for my first for the first time and praying and actually having a two-way relationship with God, I realized that this is more than just me and more than a one-way street. I actually came through a relationship with Christ because of my wife at the time, fiance. We went through struggles with her coming to Christ first. It actually was pushing us away from each other, uh, mainly because of my stubbornness for not actually exploring faith and exploring Christ. One day I came to Canyon Ridge um, with my dad because he constantly begged me to come to church with him. And when I was there, my name was up on the um, the background. During Pastor John's talk, he talked about those are the people that we are praying for uh, to have a relationship with God. And that kind of struck me and I was like, somebody cared enough to put my name up there uh, and to pray for me, uh, even when I was going through a hard time. Then my dad took me um, to Winter Jam. Jeremy Camp played the song He Knows, and it talks about Jesus knows the suffering and the pain, and he walked through all of it as well. Um, at that point, it was a complete turning point in my life. And then I just started watching. I felt like Jesus just met me right there at that moment. As I watched over the next few weeks, I just saw her life getting better and better. I'm way happier. For me, that's what I wanted. I find myself now trusting him more than I thought would have been possible. I mean, it was a long process of actually understanding and coming to Christ, but that's coming from a person who had no faith at all. My life now that I do have faith is so much better. I feel that I can love people and I can love on them. I'm happy. I'm, I might not look it, but that's because I'm probably thinking about something else. So just don't worry about that. I just feel so much more joy and so much more purpose in my life. He completely stripped away my depression. Hindsight's always 2020, and I look back, what hasn't he done? That was something I never thought was possible. He, he had his hand in everything. I've learned to hear God's voice through my prayer and, and the way that he talks to me, and he's really pointed me in the direction that he wants me to go. And I, I think honestly that every day that I, I study his word, that I in a relationship with him, there's just that much more that I grasp. I really feel like he's leading me to explore different avenues, reaching out to other people. I feel now that God has been tugging at my heart to to reach more people and, and to do things in, in terms of uh, mission work. God is just leading me towards supporting my wife as she goes through nursing school. Leading me to um become a nurse and to help people and to better our community and better other people's lives around me is just so much better, turning the focus to him. Be able to share my testimony with people that are in the really hard times in their life. He knows what abandonment feels like. He knows what the suffering is. He knows what feeling unloved and unworthy. There's still things that I, I, I wonder about, but I know who's in control. He's forming my life as he wants it, and I just put my trust in him. I know 
that everything is going to be, be fine and going to be in his hands, and with that, I'm okay. Aren't those great stories? I love those stories. See, they're not stories of people that have just memorized all the right things to believe, or even all the right things to say. Those are not stories of people who would brag to you about how good they are and how, how moral they are. They're simply stories of people who have had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And that changed everything. For them, for countless others like them, encountering the living Jesus has made the difference to them from a life that was called a life, but it was really dead, and one that was filled with life. Life coming from somewhere else, from someone who's been on the other side of death, someone who has been resurrected. Now, Jesus taught a lot about a lot of different subjects, but one of the things that he brought up again and again was his claim that true life is only found in him. You might have heard some of the famous quotes. He told us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He told us the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he told us in advance, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. We'll never find true life on our own. We will never know the power of the resurrection through our own smarts or through the things that we can do. The one thing that makes all the difference in the world is an encounter with the risen Jesus. So how do you get one, right? How do we have an encounter with Jesus? I mean, do you just schedule one? You know, he's kind of busy. Do, do you buy one somewhere? Do you just... Demand one and he will show up anytime you want, any way you want. It's not that crude. It's not a market transaction. It's not something that we can, we can control. Because God moves and God speaks on his own timetable and in his own ways. If we look back at those resurrection stories in the Bible, we would see that Jesus showed up to many people and, to many, and in many times and in many ways, but never when they planned it. Every resurrection story had an element of surprise to it. We can't just demand an encounter with Jesus and expect that he will do just what we want. Nor do we perform a few religious acts or climb to the top of some holy mountain or say some religious phrases and know that Jesus will respond immediately. It's not a mathematical formula. Well, then, then what can we do? What should we do? Let me leave you with two suggestions, both of which, which are actually biblical. So they're good. First off, seek him out. Seek him out. Jesus himself taught this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, 
the door will be opened. You want to encounter Jesus? Do what the disciples should have done on the resurrection day. Go look for Jesus with everything you have and don't quit until you find him. Look for his truth in his word. Look for his presence in his church. Pray to him personally and ask him personally to reveal himself to you. Look for the evidence of who he is and what he has done in the lives of others who have had encounters with Jesus. And never stop pursuing him. Seek him out. Because he promises to you that when you do, you will find him. And secondly, how might we find an encounter with Jesus? Invite him in. Invite him in. You see, the reality is this. Jesus isn't far, far away. Oh, he's thousands of miles away. So yes, seek him out, but it's going to take a long time to get there. No, most of the time he's just waiting to be invited in. I mentioned a story earlier that happened on Resurrection Sunday. When the disciples, two of them, were heading away from Jerusalem, away from where Jesus told them to stay, away from the possibility even that he was raised from the dead, they were done. But Jesus came up to them, and he just started walking alongside them. They didn't realize who he was to them, just some stranger walking along the road with them. And so they started venting to him. They shared their frustrations with him. Ah, oh, we thought, we thought. You haven't heard what happened with Jesus, but we're done. We've given up hope. And he just listened, and he asked questions. When they were done venting, he flat out told them, you've got it wrong. You're missing it. And he started with the beginning of the Bible, and he said, God has been planning this since the first book in the Bible until this day. Let me show you where that is. Let me show you how the Messiah had to come and die only to be rise, risen again, to be raised to life for your sins so that you might have life with him. And he got their attention. He got their attention, but when they arrived to the place they were going to stay in this town called Emmaus, Jesus kept walking as if he was going to keep going. They still didn't realize what really had occurred there until they said, wait a minute, we need to hear more. Why don't you come in and have a meal with us? And he agreed. He came into their house, and during that meal that he was sharing with them, their eyes were opened, and they knew this was no ordinary conversation. They had just had an encounter with the risen Son of God. You want to have a life-changing experience with Jesus? Then invite him in, into your life. You, you, let's say you find Jesus. Let's say Jesus just shows up in front of you. You know, your encounter with him won't be life-changing unless you give him access to your life. A lot of people have seen Jesus from a distance, and they don't get it. What's the big deal? But Jesus didn't defeat death so that we could have some cold, distant association with him. He said it himself. He was about bringing life. And that life is only found in him. So yeah, it may surprise you 
but the resurrected Jesus is seeking you out too, waiting for you to invite him in so that he won't just be Lord of the universe, but he'll be Lord of your life as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this day when we celebrate the greatest event in human history, I pray that we will not be satisfied with just hearing the story. I believe, God, today you are calling us to an encounter with you. And on our own, we are gonna miss that, God. So I ask you, help us to see you, Lord. Help us to know that you are pursuing us. Help us to have the wisdom to invite you in and do more than just call you Lord, but choose to make you Lord of our lives. Thank you, God, for your incredible love, the patience you have shown us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.